You are listening to Move With Radiance with Stephanie Dankelson, a podcast all about redefining your relationship to exercise, food, and your body by learning how to first redefine the relationship with yourself. Are you ready to discover your inner truth, your inner radiance? Because there is a more freeing way to be fit. Hello, welcome to Move With Radiance. I'm your host, Stephanie Dankelson. And (laughs) funny story, I usually record these intros or like anything that like a solo episode and all this kind of stuff like by myself. And today, like when no one's home, you know, and (laughs) today Eric is home and he is in the kitchen and I feel like really awkward. I'm like tucked in the back room and like, I don't know why it's so funny to feel like he can hear me and it's just funny. (laughs) So anyways, (laughs) today, well, first I have one thing before we jump into the content of today's episode, but I, I just had some exciting news that I'm finally ready to share with everyone. And I have been withholding this information since about, gosh, November, early December, but I am starting a 10 month coaching program starting next month. And it is focused on people who are struggling with disordered eating and their relationship to body image and food. So really excited to deepen my knowledge as a coach and be able to really be super specialized in this area and so excited. Um, I'll kind of keep you posted with the process, but starts next month and yeah, super exciting. So I want to share that with all you all before I got into the meat of the episode. Today, I'm bringing you another interview with one of my friends, uh, Sarah Caldwell. And in this episode, I mean, it is so good. We talk about all of the things relationships. (laughs) So we dig into topics around like knowing oneself before dating, healthy boundaries, um, specifically like what are boundaries and what does it mean to like set one with not only like a partner, but what that could look like with family members and friends. And then what like open and safe communication looks like, what healthy conflict looks like. We have this stigma around, um, you know, the media portrays love as it's supposed to be this certain way where there's no arguments and no fights, but in reality, like conflict happens. And so how do we handle that in a healthy way? And kind of dig into a little bit about sex and um, how important that is in a relationship. And we'll probably, I'm probably going to have her on again to dig more into that topic because that is really important, especially as it relates to body image, but lots of really good stuff. I'm so excited to have you guys hear this conversation and let me tell you a little bit more about Sarah. Sarah Caldwell is a mental health therapist specializing in sex and intimacy, healthy relationships, and maternal mental health. She earned her master's in social work from the University of Utah in 2016 and is a full-time therapist at The Healing Group. Sarah has extensive experience and training in helping individuals and couples overcome unhealthy relationship patterns and dynamics. She is especially interested in empowering individuals with trauma histories to heal from their past and create a future that ignites their soul. She believes change comes from the inside out and supports all client on their journey to to lives fully lived. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah. I hope you all enjoy. Okay. Hi, Sarah. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Um, I'm really excited about this topic today because I think it's really important and... I just I think it's important. And I don't think enough people talk about relationships and what all of that looks like in the relationship, but then also as an individual. Mm-hmm. So I think this will be really juicy. So I always start off all my interviews by having you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you. You can go into your story, however you got here today, what you want to talk about, 
we'll just start there. Great. So yeah, my name is Sarah Caldwell. I am a certified social worker. So that means I have a master's in social work. I got that at the University of Utah in 2016. Um, And then I'm a full-time therapist with the healing group. So we, as a therapist, I specialize in sex and intimacy, healthy relationships, maternal mental health, and helping people heal from trauma. Mm. So that's my background. Um, I probably got into therapy because I had a great relationship with my first therapist and I just loved her and I felt like she really changed my life and my relationships. So I love helping other people achieve their goals. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think there's also just so we can start off this way. I think there's this stigma around like mental health and what it means to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't talk about that enough in a positive way. What would you say to people who have those thoughts? Um, I think just validating that it's totally normal. Mm -hmm. I mean, even as a therapist going into therapy, when I'm first starting out with someone, I get nervous and anxious and like, oh, I don't want to go today. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I love my therapist. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I'm doing this for myself. So I would just say that um, finding someone who's a good fit makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel like you can achieve your goals. Um, It can just be so helpful. And it doesn't have to be anything that you don't want it to be. So... Yeah. Yeah. You really get to create the kind of helping relationship that you want. Yeah, totally. And I think having just a safe space to talk about everything you're feeling, Mm -hmm. there's, I don't think we get the chance to do that. Yeah. It's like a, an hour a week or however often you want to go an hour a month just to focus on yourself and your life and your relationships and making sure that, you know, you're, you're having the life you want and someone to just be there for you. It's awesome. Totally agree. Both ends of the of the couch, you know? Yeah. I love holding that space for my clients, and then I also love going and having someone hold that space for me. <laughs> yes. Because we all need that so yeah, much. Yeah, we do. <laughs> totally. So, I have, a, I have a huge list of topics I want to dig into around relationships. We might have to make this a series. I know. <laughs> I was thinking that. So, I want to start first with the concept of knowing oneself before dating mm-hmm. because, and this is actually really, I've been digging a lot into this lately and I feel like I've been listening to podcasts or like hearing people talk more and more about the relationship with themselves mm-hmm. and how for me personally, I wanted so badly to be in a relationship and used that as I will be happy when mm-hmm. I have this. And then looking back, all of those relationships were so broken because I relied so much on them to fix the stuff I needed to fix. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's all related, but let's dig into that a little bit because I think that's just so important. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that journey that you went on is one that I see most people going on of, you know, kind of figuring yourself out through relationships and then realizing, oh, I need to kind of do this on an individual level in order to really have the kind of relationship I want. So, um, I always go back to that quote. I don't remember who exactly said it, but you have to teach people how to treat you. Mm. So, um, what I've really seen is that we only accept that which we give ourselves. So if, if I think I'm totally deserving of the love that I want and I know what my boundaries are, I know what my dreams are, and I know I have the right to them, then I'm not going to be with someone who doesn't also support that for me and for themselves. So the more that we have self-acceptance and self-confidence and just the knowledge that we're okay, just as a human on our own, then we can just thrive in relationships. It's not this, you know, everything they do is a reflection of me or I need this person to survive or, you know, all these things. It allows for um, really a very healthy level of interdependence. So, you know, being okay, being an individual and then also being okay, being very intimately close with another person. Mm. You you have to have one, you have to have the individuality to be able to have that kind of intimacy that most people are looking for with relationships. Yeah. How, how would you suggest someone start that journey? Like what are like the steps. Yeah. Or, or even just the, if like someone were looking at their own life and they were like, Oh wow, maybe I do that. How would they start identifying that? Um, I think learning all you can about relationships, um, is really helpful just to kind of see more information from an objective lens of maybe what your patterns have been or, or what you've been going through. And also validates like 
if you've been in unhealthy relationships or, you know, not really had the great relationships that you've been looking for and kind of give some background. And then I think too, just looking at what does your inner critic say about you the most? You know, are you berating yourself over things? Um, do you deep down not feel that you either can access the love you want or that you deserve it? Um, and then, either doing the work on your own or getting a therapist to help you dismantle those beliefs. Yeah. So the inner critic is oh. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Oh yeah. So I think that the inner critic as that voice that internally judges you for mistakes, either real or perceived. Mm. So for me, it's like all those things that I'm not allowing myself to be human with. So mm. If I did something that makes me feel ashamed or guilty or, you know, it used to be about eating, like I have, it's a lot of the same things that you've talked about in your blog before or um, your podcast before. Um, so it's just that piece of you that, that makes it, it thinks it's helping you achieve your goals, but in reality, it's tearing you down. Yeah. So it, it acts like a coach, but in reality, it's a saboteur. Yeah. That's the right way to say that word. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's really hard. I I hear this a lot too, to start breaking down like, well, is this my inner critic or is Mm -hmm. this like, you know, a voice of intuition? Right. Yeah. And how to identify the difference between the two. Yeah. And that gets hard. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, you have to be quiet with yourself. And this is where knowing yourself and being really solid in yourself is so helpful because it's about knowing the difference for me and for a lot of people, it's in your body of where you're feeling it come from. So a lot of times the inner critic is that like sinking feeling in your gut or that tightness in your chest or the spinning thoughts and you're kind of like trying to escape or run or fight you know kind of getting into those trauma responses in a lot of ways versus a more calm knowing sense so you have to be able to be quiet quiet your nervous system and listen to yourself so I think the more we take time to be mindful and meditate and and just kind of be with ourselves the way more clear that becomes and journaling oh my gosh yeah let's I know we're we're now starting to veer but I think that these tools are really helpful to start identifying the things in your life where if you're um do I know myself and how Mm -hmm. to start getting to have this better relationship with yourself so that you can be present and and available in relationships you know so I guess let's start talking about these little these tools yeah journaling how oh man what are your thoughts around journaling yeah journaling is so wonderful um the way I have my clients do it is just take note of when you notice you have a really big emotional reaction to something, either you're criticizing yourself or you're just feeling so guilty or, um, you know, if you just get rageful all of a sudden or, you know, whatever, um, picking it apart. So really taking the time to notice and write out just kind of free flow, like what you were feeling, what you're thinking, what happened, what was happening before, you kind of had that big reaction. How did you talk to yourself afterwards? And just kind of thinking about what what happened just then, you know? And, like, do I experience this other times in my life? And just kind of a way to start having that dialogue going with yourself so that you can start noticing your patterns and how to change them. And also celebrating what you've done well. Like, if you kicked ass one day and you're like, I did all the things I wanted to, like – what was going on that day, you know, expand on the good as well as try to understand the bad yeah, or like the less savory aspects of life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause I think that's where we also, I notice myself picking apart all of the things I've done wrong. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit when mm-hmm. something good happens. Yeah. There's almost that feeling of guilt. Like I shouldn't be, ha- or I don't know. There's, Oh yeah. It's hard to also recognize, like I can be happy and proud of my accomplishments and Reflect totally. on those too. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you're doing that for yourself, you're more likely to have a partner who reflects on your successes and it's like you did really well instead of saying like, yeah, you did great, but you know, you X, Y, or Z. And yeah. then like, you know, yeah. things that you could say to yourself, but you want a partner who's going to be really supportive and your cheerleader. Yeah. What patterns? So now starting to get into like what patterns do you typically see with people who may be, I'm using like maybe a word like codependent or someone mm-hmm. who maybe doesn't have the best relationship with themselves and they're starting to rely on their partner for 
those kinds of things. I don't, does that make like, definitely. How do you start What kind of patterns do you typically see for someone who doesn't have a healthy relationship with themselves? Sure. So generally it's based on early childhood Mm -hmm. and the relationship that people had with their caregivers. So mom or dad or whoever was there caring for you as you were growing up. And this really starts probably in utero, but definitely in infancy. Mm -hmm. So if you had a parent who was who responded to you, your needs most of the time, you're going to be pretty secure, who showed you love, who um, was secure in themselves. You're probably going to do pretty well. And then, you know, some other stuff can happen that can throw it off course. But um, what I see is either people have anxious attachment styles, um, which is you kind of needing more. So um, really relying on the partner to meet needs versus and really feeling uncomfortable being able to meet them their needs themselves. Hmm. And then you have the avoidant attachment styles, which um, like when I have a need arise or I feel vulnerable, I'm going to turn away because it's safer for me to, to not risk this relationship by throwing in my own stuff. So those patterns really get started in early childhood. Um, and then you just kind of look at, you know, what's your relationship like with your caregivers? Can you, you know, do you feel like they love you? Do you feel like you're, you were heard and seen and validated? So I always go deep, deeper because this stuff is forever patterns. It's not just like I turned 15 and started dating and that's when I, you know, figured out my relationship style. No way that was given to you. Right. So, yeah. And I, this is, I've been trying to like I actually found my childhood journal. I was oh, home. Oh my god! I was like reading it and <laughs> noticing, and I was listening to. I'm so uh, another woman. She talks a little bit about sexual shame. Mm. For those of you who want to dig into that, Maddie Moon just released this awesome podcast. I'll link that up. Where we just start going deeper into like our patterns mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I was noticing a lot of like. Um, I gave that person what he wanted. So now I'm going to cling. Yeah. So there's that anxious tendency there. And then I know a lot of people who then push away because they're afraid of getting hurt. Yeah. And so starting, I think to notice your own patterns mm-hmm. and what you're doing there is like, like I said, it goes way back. Oh, way <laughs> back. And so, I mean, you don't have to be able to say like, oh yeah, I have X, Y, or Z relationship with my mother. And so Mm -hmm. I have anxious attachment, but you can look at, you know, what are your behaviors? You know, do you stay in a relationship way longer than maybe is healthy for you because you don't think you're going to get any better? Or, um, you feel like if you just do enough, they will change. Oh, waiting for people to change. It's like, that was me. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to get there. I'm sure. But, um, you know, or do you, are you like a serial Dater, even though you really want a long-term relationship, are you pushing people away and ending relationships too soon? You know, um, and are you able to tolerate distress? You know, mm. for change. So, you know, can you talk about that a little bit more? Um, yeah. So, in kind of preparing for this, I was doing some research on like conflict and really how to how to do a long-term relationship and. Um, you know, any like growth and chain or growth and discomfort are inherently linked. Mm. You know, if we feel like we want to make a change, it's because we're not very comfortable with our present. And so really a healthy relationship is one that evolves over time. Um, I don't know if, if anyone's been with a partner who you guys just grow apart or you outgrow each other or, you know, one person stays kind of stagnant. It's really hard to maintain that. So, um, you know, being able to tolerate that distress of like, Ooh, like this is not a comfortable point in our relationship. Um, we're having a disagreement about this or we're making, having to make some really hard decisions. Um, if you feel really solid in yourself and you know that you're going to be okay, no matter what, it's way easier to tolerate that distress. Mm-hmm. And those skills, um, you can absolutely develop. You can always change your attachment styles, um, your attachment style. Um, so it's really just about being able to, sit with that discomfort in the moment in order to, you know, hopefully have the reward later on. Yeah. I may have brain spinning. I know. <laughs> I'm right? So many directions. Here. <laughs> Cause that's so true because if you're not comfortable and trusting yourself mm-hmm. in hard decisions, then, cause I know I used to do this. I would rely on my partner for that. 
And in the end, it's not their responsibility to make you feel like solid in yourself. And like you can only develop that trust in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're with someone, but like on the same line, if you're with someone who's constantly tearing you down or making you feel unsafe, that's a different thing. But totally, you know, if you're with someone and, and they are there for you most of the time and, and you feel good about the relationship and yeah, you're feeling insecure all the time, like it's going to be hard to really make that last long term in a way that's not too stressful or, you know, doesn't support you making those changes. Right. So, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so my next topic or thing I want to dig into is healthy boundaries. Mm, mm-hmm. And I hear boundaries come up all of the time in the self-help personal development world. Yeah. And I think one, a lot of people might not exactly understand what boundaries. I mean, it's pretty, you know, okay, it's a boundary, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And how, how does one set a healthy boundary in a relationship? Ooh, that is such a good question. So I think of boundaries as what you're willing to accept and what you need in your to what you need in your own life to feel safe and secure mm-hmm. so um you know a boundary in a relationship might be no name calling or no violence whether it's you know physical or emotional or sexual um time to yourself things like that um boundaries with in-laws and family and friends yeah all that kind of stuff um and this is where being feeling solid in yourself is so helpful yeah um because if you if you don't want to be if you want to have a healthy relationship that's there where you feel safe and there isn't violence but you're violent towards yourself or your family of origin there was violence in your home whether that was verbal or physical or whatever what have you um it's going to be harder to enforce that boundary because maybe you don't really feel like you deserve it or you Mm. can have it. So there's a couple pieces with boundaries. One is feeling really secure in yourself that you are deserving of this boundary that you're setting. Um, And then two, being assertive with it. So if someone like it, because this is another big piece, it's no one's job, but ours to assert our boundaries. Yeah. I can't be mad at someone for stepping over my boundary that I haven't either told them about or enforced you know, like if I have a client who emails, cause I have a boundary of clients about email, you know, um, we can only do logistics. If I have a client who emails me every day of the week, who says, you know, trying to do therapy over email, I'm not going to be mad at that client. Mm-hmm. They're, they have no idea what my boundaries are. So I need to, you know, affirm with them like, Hey, this is what this is for. Same goes for partners. Um, and they always have to be renegotiated and negotiated again. And we can change our boundaries over time. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like we get to decide when we assert our boundaries and then it's up to that person, how they respond and that we don't own that at all. Yeah. You know, we can do our best to assert them in a way that's positive and, you know, kind of sets us up for success. Um, but in the end we don't have any control over that other person. So it's basically like step one, assert your boundary, see how they respond if you like the way they respond, awesome. If you don't, it's kind of like, okay, well, I have to decide what I want to do with this relationship. Yeah. Do we need couples therapy? Do I need to have a bigger discussion about this? Do I need to walk away? Or is this something that maybe I can be flexible on? You know? Right. Um, how would that look then for setting a boundary with, say, I know it's, and we can, I was thinking like in relationships, we would maybe talk just about like, you know, romantic relationships. Yeah. But I think it is so important to talk about boundaries when it comes to all relationships. Yeah. And I think sometimes it is hard to set a boundary with like a friend or a family member. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And wh- like, how do you, how would you recommend setting like a healthy boundary? Like, how would you go about that conversation? What does that look like? Cause I, I think we talk about like, yes, boundaries are so important, but I don't think there's much conversation around, well, how, what, what does that look like? Like, how would you recommend actually sitting down and talking with that person about a boundary, Mm. especially if that person is not well-versed in that language? You know what I mean? Oh, yes. As a therapist who's in a relationship (laughs) with a non-therapist, this is a constant in my relationship. Um, 
of having to have these conversations. I think first and foremost, it's modeling. So that'd be my first go-to where if let's say you're with a partner who flakes or you're dating and you're dating a flake or a ghoster, you know, Mm -hmm. the worst. Um, I think setting like modeling the boundary of like, if they, you know, text you 20 minutes before you're supposed to go on a date and they say they can't make it, but can you make it tomorrow? you don't go rearrange your schedule for them. Mm. If, if your boundary is, I respect my time and I expect other people to respect my time. Um, you kind of say, sorry, that's not going to work. How about this time next week? Or, you know, let's break this off, you know, if it's that bad. Um, but then let's say you need to have that conversation. set set yourself up for success. Uh, let that person know you want to talk, um, so that you're not just springing it, springing it on them. Make sure it's a good time for both of you. Uh, make sure you're grounded beforehand in your in your physical body and your emotional space so that you're not going to be triggered and, and overly anxious beforehand so that you're more likely to be able to use your full brain and be able to really communicate. Um, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of preparation. Mm. So write out what you want to say. Because in that moment when that person's right there with you, your heart rate's going to go up, your brain's going to shut off. And if, if you're very new to having these conversations, it's hard you know? Yeah. So if you can look at your list and say, you know, Hey, when, when this happened, I felt this way, I'd appreciate it if you would do this in the future. So you always want to do I statements. I'm sure everyone's heard about that, but you know, I feel this way, this is important to me and then do a positive ask. So not like, I need you to stop doing this versus I need you, like, do you think you could do X? So Mm -hmm. I need you to, or not like, I need you to stop telling your mom all about our sex life. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. That's luckily never happened in my life, but um, <laughs> it could have happened in other people's lives. And I imagine that'd be very difficult. Yeah. Um, could you please uh, respect the fact that I like to keep our sex life private in between the two of us? Cause then they can do something. It's not just about not doing something. Mm, so, yes. Yeah. That's huge. And I think this also now kind of segues into like healthy communication Mm -hmm. in a relationship because something I've really learned is that Eric will not, he cannot, and it's impossible for him to read my mind. Oh, I know. Right. (laughs) Darn. And that's a good, yeah, that's a hard one. (laughs) Yeah. And so if you don't share the boundaries that you have for yourself And if you don't ask for what you need, that person can't know. Mm -hmm. And I used to get so upset with, well, you didn't clean the house. Well, that person didn't, maybe that isn't important to them and doesn't understand that cleanliness is important to me or something, Mm -hmm. you know? So sitting down and having that open line of communication, I think is, has at least been monumental in my relationship. Yeah huge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And then taking the ownership. Like I remember, um, my partner would, you know, stay out late with his friends and I don't, I'm, I'm a huge, I value us having our own friends, but I had this expectation he'd be home at a certain time and, or that he would keep me posted. And I was like, Ooh, I never communicated that. That's on me. Yeah. And now it's like, I need to make sure that he knows that I would appreciate that. And so we, yeah, had that positive communication of, Hey, I'm so glad you had a great time. You know, I was a little, I felt a little worried, you know, I didn't know when you were coming home. Do you think that next time you could just shoot me a text, keep me posted? Oh yeah, no problem. End of conversation in the past. I might've pouted or sulked or done any one of those unhealthy communication styles that don't really solve anything. Yes. And then (laughs) it blows up into be something way more. And you're, I think also something huge is like you said, like take the ownership Mm -hmm. where, Oh, that's my bad. Yeah. That's huge. (laughs) It's so hard. Yes. That's it's like, Eric will call me out on stuff. And in the past I would get really defensive because Mm -hmm. I think that's my mechanism for, like when I know I'm wrong yeah, (laughs) and just being able to learn how to be like, Oh yeah, that was my bad Mm -hmm. instead of deflect and then like get even. Yeah. And then you have like a knockdown blowout (laughs) fight and it's just so unnecessary. Yes, Mm -hmm. totally. I think that, yeah, that's huge. Um, well that hit the open and safe communication, but yeah. Now that we're, I guess, 
we can move into this whole conflict piece too. And I know you talked about having like, um, healthy conflict and then also like growth and discomfort, how they go together. And a side note on conflict, I think a lot of people, and I know in myself, I've done this too, where you have some sort of conflict and I don't know if it's just the way love is portrayed in today's world where it's like, that's bad. And you have a bad relationship because you have had conflict. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about maybe what that just maybe break down that myth or talk about what healthy conflict actually looks like. Definitely. You know? So yeah, let's break down the myth and then we'll definitely talk about healthy conflict because there's definitely conflict that is destructive versus constructive. Yes. Same as like criticism. Um, so yeah, that myth of what a relationship is, you know, in, in fairy tales and Disney movies and on sitcoms and all that stuff, it's it kind of ends at, and they lived happily ever after. It's like, that's not really a thing. So, um, conflict kind of shows that you're willing to engage and figure out how to make your relationship work versus just pushing things under the rug or not dealing with them. Or, you know, maybe you have a, a, that internalized message that conflict is bad, um, which can come from a million different places in your life. Um, where you're just not really going to be open to it. And then over time, it can build resentment. It can fuel distance so that you're not feeling as close. Um, It can come up in other ways. You know, like if you're not dealing with a major conflict, you might start to nitpick about picking the socks up off the floor. Mm. Or, um, Or you can do the thing where... You, you store things up in your memory, but you don't address it at the time. And then it boils over and you're like, and you did this and you did that. And like very blamey and shamey. Um, so yeah, I just think it's totally normal to have conflict. I think it's a good thing. It shows that you're willing to, um, do hard things and, and really focus on the relationship. It's like, if you want to have a healthy body, you have to exercise and move and that can be uncomfortable or, or I don't know, most people have to exercise or move if, if you can, um, you know, if you want to make a change, you have to figure out how to do it and, and to look at what you're doing now. So to make the change in the future. So that's kind of the myth. Does that answer that question? Yeah, for sure. And digging into, so we touched on a little bit too of like what unhealthy conflict looks like. And mm-hmm. as you're talking to him, I'm like, done that. I've done that. <laughs> you right. know, where um, you're pushing stuff under the rug or you're bottling yes. it all up and then blaming. I know all this stuff is so intrinsically linked. I'm like, it's a big, it's a tapestry versus a linear yeah. conversation we're having. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what other unhealthy behaviors do you typically see with um, unhealthy conflict or like what, what does that look like? So let's like uncover what unhealthy conflict looks like. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say the, the biggest red flag of unhealthy conflict would be any kind of violence in communication, whether it's, um, manipulation or, um, you know, physical, verbal violence, threatening behavior. So anything that really makes you feel unsafe mm-hmm. or that like you're being threatened, um, that's just, no, that yeah. is not healthy ever. Um, so if you're in a relationship like that, I would really recommend seeking support either from someone that you care about and trust or, um, a therapist because that can cut deep over time and yeah. it'll be really important to un unweave that web that you might be in. Um, but then other than that, John Gottman is a marriage and family therapy researcher. Um, and he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which I love. Um, it's criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Mm -hmm. So like you said, responding with defensiveness Mm -hmm. or, you know, like I didn't do that. I can't believe you'd say that about me. You know, it's not owning like, Oh yeah, I didn't do that. You know, I didn't, you know, live up to the agreements that we've made or whatever, what have you. And then, um, you know, criticism would be the, you never, you always, I can't believe, you know, those kinds of statements that again, aren't a positive suggestion, doesn't really have any kind of ownership of your part in this meaning that you're making out of the, the conflict. 
And then contempt, you know, feeling disgust towards your partner, um, really stopping liking them as a person, expecting the worst. And then stonewalling, which is where one person or both gets so flooded with emotion that they just totally shut down. Mm. Yeah. Or they, um, and it could be a physiological response where really their brain kind of goes offline and they can't respond because they feel so unsafe. And it can also be a manipulation tactic or a trying to communicate of, well, I'm just going to withhold me to get you to respond in a certain mm, way. So Yeah. So, yeah, so he talks about those, and those are the big four. Um, and then there's all kinds of breakdowns in between. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We could go on a whole topic on yeah. each one of those. I know, sure. I know. Um, and then on the, on the flip side, so say, and I know – Again, it, it's, there's a whole level of severity for these things. Mm-hmm. But if, say, someone notices themselves doing one of those things, mm-hmm. how can, like, what's the flip side to it? You know, like, say they are doing the, they're completely turning off in hopes that the other person will respond. Like, what kinds of steps can, can partners start taking to start mm-hmm. resolving those things? Wonderful. I would say... Again, do your research. Mm-hmm. Identify your unhealthy relationship pattern. There's a bunch of great books, couples workbooks that um, I can give to you if you want to post. Yes, that would be awesome. Because um, I, I think knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. Um, and this stuff is really hard to do on your own. Like, I am a couples therapist. <laughs> and... I need a therapist to help me with my relationship, you know, yeah. like it's, it's, just, it's hard stuff. So, you know, you can go get help, but then, um, I think figuring out ways to resolve your own triggers so that you can, again, set your boundaries in a way that sets you up for success. I think figure out ways to take breaks when things get too heated, um, really only, only discussing one thing at a time. Yeah. You know, don't talk about the kids and sex and your in-laws and the house and finances all at once. It's just like a recipe for disaster. Um, so yeah, be intentional, have a goal of why you're bringing things up. I'd, I'd say do the journaling again, like turn towards yourself first and look at ways that maybe you're overreacting or is this symptomatic of something else? Um, and then set a time to talk about it so that you're both, you both feel like you can talk about it and be grounded in yourself and not resort to those four horsemen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one thing, one big thing that you said that I've related with is learning my own triggers. Oh, yeah. And taking responsibility for overreacting to something and then taking a break and being like, okay, well, how could... I have handled that better and then had a conversation about it. And then also on the flip side to express, I didn't appreciate when that was said, Mm -hmm. it made me feel like this. Exactly. And then also learning how does that other person like to handle conflict? Mm -hmm. Because in my relationship, he needs 10 minutes to think before I start blabbing. Yeah. I need, I should have 10 minutes to compose my thoughts so that we can come back and not have a screaming match over something, you <laughs> yeah, know, totally. and be able to communicate on a level head. Mm-hmm. So it does, I used to put all of the blame and well, you need to fix this and you need to fix this and you need to fix this. And then we'd have a better relationship. And instead taking a step back and being like, okay, maybe I should have done this better. Yeah. And owning that because that's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. I, you know, I needed to have a therapist help me figure that stuff out. Yeah. And this was after doing extensive couples therapy training. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think it was that awareness piece of like, oh yeah, some of this is not working. Like I would, I'd sit with my couples and be like, oh no, like <laughs> this is my relationship in some ways, you know, and be like, okay, I need to start fixing my own self and yeah you know, fix me to fix we I've heard that you know said that before but um, it's it's so huge in any relationship having again it comes back to that having a solid relationship with yourself to where you understand your triggers you know that if you're in a conversation and they bring something up that is one of those deep triggers for me it's like money mm-hmm. <laughs> and to understand that like they might not know the depth of that trigger for me so just exactly. really understanding like where yourself learning 
yourself mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can show up better in a relationship then because you're able to take ownership. Yes. And I mean, some triggers can be like, if there's conflict, they'll leave me or, yeah. you know, um, I'm going to be abandoned or, you know, any number of things I'm not good enough. And so when those triggers get triggered, that it's really hard. And so that's where it's really important to really go deep with yourself and know, all right, this is my own stuff from the past. And this is, you know, with time, these are hard changes to make, you know, know that like, Oh, so we're going to talk about something hard. My trigger of abandonment or, um, this person's going to either, you know, be there or not, um, is going to come up and I need to do X, Y, or Z to keep myself present in the moment Mm -hmm. and not let all my past traumas come into this room with me right now. Yeah. I was, I'm curious on your thought of communicating that to your partner. So I, I mean, with the work I'm doing, I'm already super vulnerable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I feel really comfortable telling my partner like, Hey, I've had these, these are my, like, I've had problems with these things in the past. So if I overreact when this comes up, just know this is where it's coming from. I feel like I'm really open about that kind of stuff. Do you recommend having conversations around that? Or like, like that whole topic of vulnerability and having, including your partner on your own self-work. Like, how do you feel about that? Mm Yeah, definitely. I think if you have that relationship where you can be vulnerable with your partner, which I mean, some relationships aren't that way, you know, where you can't be very open. I think that's something to look at, but you know, let's say, you know, in your relationship, you can huge, Mm -hmm. you know, letting your partner know where you're at. Um, you know, I'm personally doing some really, um, heavy, stuff with my own therapist right now. And so my partner knows all about it. And Mm -hmm. he knows like that I might be a little more up and down lately. Um, or knows like, man, Sarah's been depressed for three months in the winter and this is what she needs. And she might be a little more quick to anger. Um, so that they don't take it personally. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's huge. Yeah. And then there's something also called repair attempts, mm. which is, um, again, acknowledging and planning for the fact that conflict will arise and having ways to return to homeostasis. Mm. So again, you know, saying things like, Hey, I'm really sorry. I said that before, you know, what can I do to make it up to you? And sometimes, Oh, that apology was enough or I already forgot about it, but just, or, um, you know, after you've had a heavy conversation, a hug, Mm. you know, or whatever works for you guys. Um, just so that you do have ways, you know, even if there is, you're triggered, stuff comes up, we're all going to make mistakes and fights are going to get out of hand. No one's going to be perfect. No. I don't know if I've met a single person who had a perfect relationship. No. Um, you know, just having ways to come back to each other. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with all of it. I, I, I my head keeps going in all these directions. Cause then I'm also thinking about ways to like kind of just not sum it all up, but what I've learned too is I've had these tendencies for a really long time. And so as my partner, we have ways of being in relationships or just the way that we are as humans that we're now starting to do this personal development, self work, dig deep kind of stuff that they, and also too, kind of moving on this different love languages, right? Right. And respecting that something I've learned is that we've for how 27 years, I've learned these patterns. I can't undo them in a year. Oh yeah. And so when, even when my partner and I have had conversations about, I need you to do this when this happens, if that doesn't happen right away, like every single time, it's like they're, that's not the way that they would handle sadness. Mm -hmm. So I can't expect them to know how to do that every single time I'm dealing with sadness. Yes, definitely. And you have to ask for it and keep asking for it. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, Hey, I, you know, I think a lot of times, in heterosexual relationships, you know, women, the, the female partner, partner sometimes needs to just vent mm-hmm. and just like kind of expound on what they're going through. And men sometimes get into fix it mode. Yeah. So just being able to say, I just need you to listen right now and just honestly smile and nod and say, that sounds hard. Yes. And then when they do that, say, thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> you know? Totally. I li- like, we've literally had like, that's happened so many yeah. times. Like, you know, I'm just, I need to get that. I just need you to listen. Mm-hmm. And having to say that, like, you just need to keep asking for it because yeah. 
it's the same. Like I don't remember everything. It's just communication constantly and not mm-hmm. assuming anything. Yes. And I think it also goes with, um, you know, with being solidly an individual while in a relationship is not expecting your partner to be your one and only for everything. Mm-hmm. I think now, and, oh, this is another piece I forgot to mention with this present day relationship mythology stuff. Um, expecting your partner to be your soulmate, your best friend, your spiritual guider, your, you know, love interest, the father, you know, the I'm a woman and I'm heterosexual. So the father of my children or, you know, the other, the other parent, your caregiver, someone to take care of you when you're sick. Mm. Oh my gosh. You know, your running buddy, your cooking buddy, your personal chef, like no one can be all those things. Right. Right. And so having other people in your life and also acknowledging that your partner can't be everything to you and they're not going to execute all their roles perfectly all the time. Just to say like something that helps me with figuring is like putting myself in that position. Yeah. There's no way I can do that. No. So why should we expect the same from our partner? Mm -hmm. Totally agree. That's huge. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. And still something I'm working on. Yeah. Oh, I work. I'm working on all this stuff. Me too. I think if we're not working on it again, we're not growing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And it's, I don't think we'll ever hit, just like when you're doing your work with yourself, I'm always going to have food triggers. Like they're just Mm -hmm. always going to be there. The same thing, like we're going to have, be working, constantly working on our relationship. Like it's, it's never going to hit this state of like perfection, which is ultimately impossible in all realms of life. But it's, I think that's just an important thing to remember is I think again, like media stuff has ruined, I don't want to say ruined, but have just, has just put this standard of what love is and what mm-hmm. relationships are and what that looks like. And yeah. it just is not going to be perfect like no. that 24 seven. Yeah. I think, um, funny as it is, Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Romance mm. is amazing for dispelling all these relationship myths. Really? Yeah. And you know, I'm not putting my stamp of approval on his recent behaviors, right. but I think his book, um, I think it hits the nail on the head for a lot of these things that goes into dating culture and how dating has changed and all of these, you know, ideas and dogma that we have around relationships right now. And it's funny to listen to it as well, which I love. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Brene Brown's work on shame. Yes. Um, she talks a lot about developing a, a solid sense of self and, and noticing your triggers and, um, kind of looking at your expectations and where they came from and, and being okay and not feeling devastated when things aren't a fairy tale. Yeah. You know, and accepting that and also being able to choose authentically what works for you. So that's another big piece in, you know, if, if you do want to have a, a relationship that, you know, lights you on fire is figure out exactly what you want, Yeah, you know, like, who you want to be with, how you want to feel when you're with them, um, what kind of values you want to share, everything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, especially in today's world, or I don't know, maybe it was just the way I grew up too. There's this sort of urgency in being in a relationship Mm -hmm. and you know, women, your clock's ticking and (laughs) you know, so I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we settle because we have those things in our head. Of yeah. like, well, time's ticking. I need to do it. I need to be in a relationship. Rush, 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 rush. That we don't honor those things that are really important to us that will then lead us to this relationship that does light us on fire. Exactly. Yeah, I've, I've seen that go both ways where um, with like that settling idea of, yeah, not waiting to make sure that this person is really the one that you want to be with for, you know, most people go into it hoping they'll be together for the rest of their life, yeah. you know? So... And so, you know, certainly a lot of people don't, there's people who aren't monogamous or, you know, don't want to be with someone forever or fine being on their own. But, you know, for, I think most of the population, that's what it is. Um, so you see it as either rushing into it and, you know, bending over backwards to make it work. And then you also see people who expect perfection and are so afraid of, you know, quote unquote settling that they aren't willing to stick it, stick with it through some of the early conflict. You know, I think that first year is so important of getting over the infatuation period and then, um, really getting into the nitty gritty 
the shine wears off and you get to see them as they are instead of seeing them as you want to see them. And then, and that's, that's like a, a biological thing that we go through is this infatuation. So mm-hmm. it's real 100%. Um, and then that's when you decide like, can I hang with this or not? You know? right. And so that's where it's taking your time to make sure that what you're agreeing to is something you want to agree to. And then, giving it time to settle, settle in yeah, and not expecting it to remain the infatuation period forever, which it won't. Right. It's like setting those expectations up for yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Oh, no, so I love this stuff things. so much. I know. It's I like feel... my favorite thing in this world. <laughs> it's so good. And it's so important. Just right. I mean, we don't get sex education usually. No. Up. Like I got comprehensive sex education and like, I feel like I'm, besides my classmates, like the only person on this earth who got it. <laughs> um, and we also, in that, we don't get healthy relationship skills. No. Like, what are we supposed to do here? Right. <laughs> well, and, and this point was brought up. I've heard this point where it was, um, for me personally, I grew up in a very religious um, environment. And not to say there's anything not putting any, like, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I was taught abstinence and like the, there was a lot of shame around sex and what that, like, I didn't understand, I didn't get that type of education Mm -hmm. where I didn't really even know exactly what happened, like how sex happened until like eighth grade when like someone told me like, Oh no, this is how it works. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know. Like, right. I I didn't know that the clitoris was a thing until literally my boyfriend when I was in high school, told me about it. Yeah. I didn't understand. I mean, thank you to my boyfriend for telling me about that and showing me all the great things it can do. But I should have known about that when I was 10. Oh, I didn't know that that was orgasm. Like I didn't know that that was, I didn't know. Like yeah. I had no idea. I thought it was bad. I thought right. it was bad. I thought it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And to have shame around that, it just, it is so common. Yeah. And the importance of understanding what a healthy relationship looks like. And, and understanding like what sex, like just like, what is sex? Yes. What is a relationship? Yes. And how do I have the one I want? Right. And if you are saving yourself, like don't rush into marriage just for sex. Like what does love look like, Mm -hmm. you know, and all of this stuff, like there's just so many, again, like have a whole other conversation around that. But yeah, I just think, yeah. And I, I think too, just, you know, to, to speak on that is so important because people again will carry a lot of shame yeah. about, you know, either not being able to have a healthy relationship or have a healthy sexual relationship or, you know, being able to find one or, you know, access one. Um, but in reality we're operating with really, a not a lot of information. Yeah. So I'd say feel empowered that you're recognizing that this is something you want you know, forgive yourself for not having that information because it, it was the adults in our lives when we were children who didn't live up to their responsibility to give us this information. Mm -hmm. And so luckily, you know, we are empowered adults who can then go out and get it and change and have all the things we want. Yeah. And I think too, along that line, like just learning about your own body is so empowering. Um, I'm reading a book right now and I'm blanking on it's is it come as you are. That one is another one that I've gotten a recommendation on. Mm -hmm. Definitely come as you are by Emily Nagoski. Yeah. I will link that in the show (laughs) notes for sure. And then there's another one about, um, I can't remember the first word it's, but around like learning about your fertility and I'll link that up too, but it's essentially for women who again, like don't want to get pregnant and also do want to get pregnant, but just learning about your menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. and, all the nitty gritty pieces of it and what it all means. And like, we didn't learn all of that. We learned like you ovulate on day 14 and this like 28 day cycle or whatever. And that's just Mm -hmm. not how it's not a universal concept that you can apply to every woman. So I think just learning about your hormones and, and what works. And then that goes into like your exercise, just how your own body works and not Mm -hmm. having shame in that. And yeah. And I think the more you know about yourself and your body and what it is to be in your own body, whatever your gender or your ability level or whatever, what have you, your health, um, your age, the more you know about that, you're able to be with someone who respects that. 
Absolutely. And who helps you flourish versus, you know, if you, let's say you don't know how your body works sexually, and then you're with someone who also doesn't know and doesn't care, um, then you're, you're not going to be able to have what you want. Right. Or you might not even know. Right. Yeah. And I think too, along with that is, um, when you have worked on, I don't know, like the shame around it or have comfortability, like you feel comfortable in your body and with your sexuality and with how things work and all of that, you're able to ask for what you need mm-hmm. and not yes. have, cause that's hard. I still have some, a hard time with that with like, Hey, you know, this would be fun or, mm-hmm. or just in just general, like asking for what you need just for what works for you. And yeah, just there's so, it's so empowering. It really is. And, and knowing, I think it's so helpful to know if you're finding that you can't ask for what you need or you can't identify it. A lot of people I work with, um, were never really given the tools to be able to identify what they wanted or needed. Mm. Um, so if you're noticing that, um, I forgot where I was going with this a little bit, but once you have it, being able to ask for it's really important. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's where I was going. Um, uncovering your own stuff around needing things, especially, you know, if you're, whatever gender, you know, socialization we get gives us a lot of, you know, some backwards information about what we can ask for and what yeah, we can't. So, definitely. You know, men might not be able to ask for emotional vulnerability. Women might not be able to ask for sexual pleasure. Mm. Um, and then a million other things. Um, That's a whole other for podcast all genders. episode. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It just, I think it all, again, comes back to really understanding yourself mm-hmm. and again that like you said it can be hard in today's world too with the standards that we have but it, hopefully we're moving in a direction where we can yes. start breaking that stuff down and men can feel comfortable asking for emotional support or vulnerability and women can be confident in their sexuality mm-hmm. and ask for what they yeah, need and men themselves too absolutely yeah i mean sexuality plus absolutely yeah sex is just a microcosm of everything else going on in our lives yes Yes. uh well like i feel like i do these interviews and i'm like oh yeah you have 30 minutes and then oh god yeah i know (laughs) is there anything else that you want to say before we end our time um let's see i think if you are in the salt lake you know park city area in the fall, and, and this is really speaking to you of like, oh, I don't even know where to start with any of this. Right. I'm going to be doing a like a relationship and dating support group for women, mm-hmm. um, sexual orientation, any of that, but yeah. you know, gender wise, women, um, and it's going to be about th- these pieces of uncovering your patterns, um, feeling really secure in yourself, and how to go about doing that figuring out what it is you really want out of a relationship and then figuring out dating and how to get it and dating skills. That's honestly like what I spend a lot of my practice on is dating and really relationships and, and how to make it flourish and, and figure out what's working and what isn't how to have those difficult conversations. And so we're going to be going all over all of that. Awesome. And that'll be starting in the fall. So Great. you can find me um, at the healing or Sarah with an H E is in Elizabeth Caldwell.com for information on all that stuff. Perfect. Yeah. And then that's where they can find you as well. Yeah. Is there any other resources you want to provide for? Um, yeah. So I have um, social media, of course, as a millennial human. Um, <laughs> I'm on Facebook as Sarah Caldwell. And then I'm on Instagram as therapy book club, mm. which is therapy underscore book underscore club. Perfect. I will link everything up so everyone can easily find you and... Yeah. Thank you for being Absolutely. here. And I just think people, I want people to know that um, no matter what their history of relationships or not being in relationships has been, that they can get, you know, cultivate whatever kind of relationship with themselves and others that they want. Absolutely. It's 100% doable. And I've seen the magic happen firsthand yeah. in my own life and in the lives of my clients. So yeah, yeah, it's there. It's out there. For sure. And totally, uh, I just... Yes. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> I feel so lit up. I know. I love I love talking about relationships. Yeah. It's so important. It is. And that it just it's I'm so appreciative for the work you're doing and for these conversations because 
I think a lot of times people are left feeling wrong or Mm -hmm. not sure what to do. And so to be able to have tools and people like you to work with, to go deeper into these things, be able to, you're not wrong for feeling any kind Mm -hmm. of way. It's just all part of humanness. And yes, it's all good. Yeah. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's so important. (laughs) Thank you. I just, All the good things. All the good things. (laughs) And it's spring. It is spring. You guys, the leaves here, I think, just bloomed within a matter of, like, days. Yes. It's so nice out. And wearing sandals. I know. so good. Break out my chocos. I know. Serotonin (laughs) levels go up. It's just like, oh, finally. All the Vitamin D. All those healthy healthy things for us. For sure. (laughs) Well, thanks, everyone, for being here. Thank you, Sarah, again, for being here. And... We will all chat soon. Bye. Thank you so, so much for listening and for being here with me. If you want more resources, pop on over to www.stephanie-dankelson.com. And until next time, stay radiant.